Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. What a real joy it is to be in church tonight. Why don't we just thank our musicians for the way that they've served us tonight. And... <clears throat> really awesome. My name is Carl and I'm one of the pastors here at City Reach. And at City Reach, we exist to bring glory to God and joy to the city, right? And so if you're new to the life of the church, we want you to know that we don't exist as your enemy, but we exist for your joy. We believe that we have the greatest news imaginable, that we have this heavenly father and he calls us his adopted children, right? Fully and accepted. Amen? Fully and accepted into his family. And so tonight, We're here for your joy. If you're new here, we want you to know that we've been praying for you. We would pray that this would be where you would be tonight. And we believe that God is uniting all things unto himself. So he has this great plan, and tonight is part of that plan. So we do believe that you are not here by any accident. And we started a new series last week for our joy. And we do believe that through life, there are many, many peaks, right? Many mountaintops where life is going really well, those huge highlights of life. But it is also true that through life we have many valleys. We have valleys that cause us to worry, they cause us to fear, they cause us grief and anxiety. And the Bible um, calls these strongholds, right? And so we're in this battle, this, uh, this series we're calling Battlefield because Paul would say that there is a battle going on for our mind. He says it in this way in 2 Corinthians. He says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And so how do we demolish these strongholds? Well, he says, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Every thought we sit under the authority of Christ. Last week, we looked at the way that we could find hope in the, um, in the unknown, is that we would rest on uh, the character of the Lord and the promises of the Lord and the shelter of the Lord. And tonight we are dealing with a topic that affects everyone, right? Universally affects us all. Some of us would be affected by it just this week. Maybe some of us have been affected by it this day. Maybe some of you are affected by it in this moment, right? We're talking about the battlefield of temptation. Tonight we're talking about Winning the battle of temptation. It's true that we can be affected by temptation over a whole bunch of different stuff. Maybe your temptation is eating. Maybe your temptation is that um, when life is low for you, you just turn to food. Or maybe it's true for you that when life is high for you, you just turn to food. When you're in the meal, right, all you can be thinking about is the next meal to come. Maybe your temptation is your smartphone, right? Maybe you open your phone uh, more times in an hour than all of your friends do in a whole day. And the idea of you departing from your phone to go and spend time with your friends and family is just out of the question, right? Maybe your temptation is pride. You can't compliment anything without adding a critique. You might say, I really, really loved that, but I would have done it this way. Or I really, really loved the way that they did, but wasn't it funny when fill in the blank? Maybe your temptation is your spending. We live in a world that is extremely comfortable and we're tempted to make our lives even more comfortable. So we sit in front of the TV and we open up eBay, we open up Gumtree and we buy a whole bunch of different stuff that we really don't need. Or we go shopping, we do, we, we do retail therapy, right? 
We walk through Tea Tree Plaza or maybe somewhere a bit more fancy than that. We walk through a venue and we justify um, buying things at discounted rate because it's 50% off, right? So look at the saving, forgetting that we would have been 100% off if we didn't buy anything. Maybe your temptation is sex, right? Maybe you're in a relationship where the temptation for you has always been sex or maybe you're single and the temptation for you is sex. Maybe you're a person that is constantly bombarded with a temptation towards pornography. And smartphones have this nickname, um, porn in your pocket, because of how quickly you can access pornography. That temptation is everywhere in every area of our lives. But the good news is that God is faithful. Amen? 1 Corinthians 10 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. Pride comes before the fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is, let's say it together, faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. One of my um, greatest uh, fears when I was younger is that the temptation towards food would always be a stranglehold around my neck. And um, when I was growing up, it was really, really common for me in my uh, early 20s and in my late teens that I would walk to the video store. Anyone remember video stores? They used to exist around the place. Videola, Video, video Easy. We'd walk up there and I'd get um, a new release of VHS. Anyone remember VHS? It was next to the chicken shop and I would, so I would get like a, a couple of new releases and I'd get a chicken schnitzel pack and a custard tart and I'd get fruit and nut chocolate and a packet of cheese and onion smiths and Coke Zero because I was trying to save on calories. And I would take all of that food home and that was just a regular rhythm of my life, right? And then by the grace of God, that is no longer gripping my soul. But um, I don't know if you've, you've all heard that phrase like once a drunk, always a drunk, right? Or once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. And it's this idea that um, even 10, 20 years after someone has walked away from alcoholism, one drink can send them right back. And for me, it's a constant fear that when I'm out with my friends and people might say things like, um, why can't you just have a little bit of that? Or why can't you just have a little bit of that? It's because I've succumbed to the temptation of food so many different times that I know if I just go back there for a moment, I could be all the way back. Such is the power of the grip of temptation in our lives, right? The alcohol is not any worse or any greater a sin or a temptation than anything else. God doesn't rank sin. We all have different areas in our lives where we might prone, be prone to seek comfort outside of God's loving protection and find comfort in something that is really no comfort at all. So tonight we're going to ask this question, how do I win the battle over temptation? I'm going to give us four points. We're going to start with identification, then we're going to move on to choice, and then application, and then we're going to finish with a reality check. I'd say this, firstly, to overcome temptation, as we survey the New Testament, we would see that we need to identify the difference between sin and temptation. Right? We need to identify the difference between sin and temptation. Temptation is not the same as sin. Those are two different things, right? How do we know that? Because the Lord was tempted in every single way. The Bible says in Hebrews, For because he himself, that being Jesus, has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The writer of Hebrews is making two really, really helpful and profound points. Point number one is that because we know that Jesus was tempted and we know that Jesus never sinned, it is not a sin to be tempted. Why is it important to know the difference between temptation to sin and sin? 
It's because we can so often stroll our way into false shame where we really don't need to be there at all. See, we are always going to get tempted in our area of weakness, right? But the truth is that temptation can be a sign, resisted temptation can actually be a sign of spiritual progression, not spiritual regression. If Jesus was tempted in every single way, that means that Jesus was consistently, constantly tempted his whole life, yet never sinned. And for some of us, we wear this anchor, this weight around our neck because we constantly feel tempted and we actually haven't sinned and it could be a sign of spiritual maturity in our life. I've got people in my life, a couple of blokes that struggle with pornography and they they text me when they're struggling, right? It's so profound. They're home on their own, right? No one around to watch them. No one can see what they're doing. And instead of succumbing to pornography, they would message a brother in need. That is not a sign of spiritual regression. That is a sign that you're maturing. That's a sign of sanctification. As Christians, we need to not put this weight of guilt and shame on our neck all the time. When it is true that From the moment we were born, we're infected with this DNA called sin, right? It's so true that you don't need to teach a child the ways of sin. My uh, young boy, Jack, doesn't need to be taught to sin. He's learnt that on his own, right? He takes Tommy's cars and he smashes them. We bought Tommy his own car this week um, because it was his birthday. And then Jack took Tommy's car and said, Jack's car, Tommy can't have it, right? I didn't teach him that language. From our very, very early days, we have this temptation to sin that is with us all the time. And every single moment that we choose not to succumb to temptation, that is not sin, but can actually be a sign of spiritual maturity in our lives. The Apostle Paul was prone to it. He said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but I hate what I do. When you're home alone and no one is watching, and you choose to message a friend or to call upon the Lord, that is not a sign of a failure, that could be very well a sign of victory. Obviously, temptation is going to come in your area of weakness. But for me, it doesn't require a lot of strength um, to say no to alcohol. I've never really been hugely tempted by alcohol. I had my first drink when I was in my late teens, didn't again for many years. And if you said to me, no more alcohol, I'd probably be okay with that, right? You say no more banana caramel pies, and it's a different story. So we're being tempted in our area of weakness, but drawing a straight line between temptation and sin makes no sense at all. And we needlessly put this anchor around our neck that shouldn't be there at all. But it is one thing to say that sin and temptation to sin are two different things, but we must start at the place of our motivation, right? We must get our motivation to sin right. The second uh, The second way that we overcome our temptation towards sin is to choose our motivation for overcoming temptation. We need to choose our motivation for overcoming temptation. I remember being at this church a few years ago. If you can just go to the next point. Uh, I was and the next point. Uh, I was at this church a few years ago, and um, we had this uh, all-day rehearsal. Jason, you remember it. You were there. Had this all-day rehearsal for, the, for our music that we were doing. And we, um, 
went to order the pizzas in, right? I don't know if you remember this story where it's gone. Yep. And so we ordered these pizzas in, and I was in this, um, this prideful, self-righteous stage about the kind of food that we eat at church functions, right? And then so I said, we need to not have pizzas at everything, and we need to get healthy, and we need to get better. And while I was right, I think you might, what I was suggesting, I was pretty wrong in my delivery method. And then uh, we ended up getting these pizzas. And then um, uh, not long after that, I was at home all on my own and no one watching and um, enough ingredients to make a kilo of Anzac biscuits, right? And then so what I did was I took a kilo worth of ingredients to make all these Anzac biscuits and I made all this food and buried as much chocolate in those Anzac biscuits as I could. And, um, and then I was so stoked with all this stuff that I made and I ate the whole thing and posted the photo online, right? And um, one of the people that were, people that were in that meeting uh, commented on that photo and called me out for my sinful behaviour. And um, I remember in that moment being motivated to change. And what was really, really interesting is that the motivation was completely ungodly, but it motivated me nonetheless. Maybe you've been in that situation where your motivation for change actually comes out of embarrassment, right? Maybe you got busted doing something that you're a bit ashamed of or maybe you said something in public and you don't want to ever get caught saying anything like that again. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, is there a wrong motivation to get the right results, right? So if I've got poor motivation to get to my destination, does it really matter as long as I get to my destination? Well, there's this really uh, interesting um, thing that happens with the Apostle Paul, right? The Apostle Paul uh, wrote First and Second Corinthians, and what we know is that in between the First and Second Corinthian letters, there were at least one other letter that was written. And in First Corinthians, Paul writes this letter telling them to change from their ungodly behaviour and to learn to live in the gospel, and that the, not many people repented. And so he wrote another letter, and this letter was um, had a bit of fire in his belly when he wrote it. Right? I mean, we've almost brought him to the point where he was questioning the tone in which he wrote. And he said this in 2 Corinthians, speaking about that letter. He wrote, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. So Paul is grieved in the tone that he had to choose, but not necessarily in the outcome that he was striving for. Then he goes on in verse 9 to say, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Here Paul presents that there is kind of grief, a kind of grief that is godly. But it is not the only kind of grief that can motivate us. He says in verse 10, For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Right? Godly grief and worldly grief. There are these two different kinds of grief that can send you off in two different directions. Maybe we would say them like this. This is what godly grief is. Godly grief is concerned with correcting behaviours that offend God that might cause me to miss out on something God has to offer, his peace, his intimacy, his love, his kindness. Worldly grief is something altogether different. Worldly grief is concerned with correcting behaviours that cause me discomfort. And that might cause me to miss out on something that the world has to offer. And Paul says that this leads to death. Things that entertain you for a moment, but give you no joy, but actually create a wall between the intimacy that you can experience between you and God. Worldly sorrow isn't focused on God, it's focused on us. The motivation isn't about bringing joy to God, it's about bringing joy 
to us. Here's what can happen if you are motivated to be free of temptation through worldly grief. If our motivation is to avoid embarrassment, then we can just learn to better hide our tracks. If our motivation is to get free from shame, then we can just learn the art of self-justification. If our motivation is to stop hurting others, then we can just replace one addiction with another. If our motivation is to make a better impact in the world, then we can fall for the lie of just one more time. It's that idea that I'm going to start fresh on Monday or I'm going to start contributing to society next year. So I'm just going to have one more time, which always leads to one more time, which always leads to one more time. If our motivation is to be accepted by our peers, then we'll just find new peers. People stay in bondage for years and years because they've trusted their own heart as a roadmap to joy. But if our motivation is just to be free from the shackles of judgment and, 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 and appearing silly, then we can actually run ourselves back to the one who just seeks to steal, kill and destroy our lives. See, when the situation where I had all those Anzac biscuits and posted that picture online and I was embarrassed, if, my, if I'm just torn by, God, by worldly grief, then how could I avoid that pain? Just don't post a picture online, right? I've still sinned against the Lord. I've still separated me from God. I've still denied the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. I've deleted the picture and now I just don't come under judgment. So what is the right motivation, right? What is the motivation that God has set aside for every single one of his believers? Paul would say it like this in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 30. He says, so whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. What does it mean to do all to the glory of God? It means to ascribe glory or worth to God in all the ways that he is due. So in every single area of my life, I would lean upon God so that my life would be a living, walking testimony of God flourishing through me. Not in my strength, but in my weakness. So if my motivation is God's glory, then I won't keep secret rooms in my life where God's presence cannot go. If my motivation is God's glory, then we'll be moved by God's never-failing love, not this world's ever-changing opinions. If our motivation is God's glory, then the change in our life will be empowered by the Spirit rather than empowered by our own convenience. Motivation for God's glory creates a perfect platform for being set free from addiction to take place. So we have seen that we need to identify the difference between sin and temptation. We need to choose our motivation for overcoming temptation. Number three, we need to submit to God and resist the devil. James 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The ability to resist the devil was never ever supposed to come from you. The strength to resist the devil was never ever supposed to come from you. It wasn't supposed to come from your own emotions, your own ability to charge up your emotions to overcome. It was always supposed to come from the great God in you so that God would be the one getting all the glory. The ability to resist the temptations of the devil first starts with our ability to submit to God. We were never designed to be able to resist temptation through our own strength. 
we were always designed to be connected to the vine. When I go home and I try to water my garden, the hose only works because I connect it to a tap. If I go home and try to watch Netflix, my TV only works because it's connected to power. If I try to use the stove, that only works because it's connected to gas. So the question we should ask tonight as we're struggling through this battle of temptation is, what are we connected to? If you could just capture that thought in your mind at the moment, what is the temptation that you wrestle with, whether it's food or whether it's the approval of other people or whether it's um, to do with your spending or whether it's to do with um, maybe your sex or sexuality. If you were to bring that to mind, you'd say, what are the means that you're using at the moment to overcome that temptation? And I would say to you that our attendance at church was never supposed to be the means by overcoming temptation. It's not how many times you attend that can help you overcome. My family, right, coming from a great background, the DNA you have in your bones, was never supposed to help you overcome temptation, right? Mental toughness. I've overcome in all these other areas of my life. I've just got to translate that energy into this area and I'll be able to overcome. It was never, ever supposed to work that way. Recently, I've been captivated by the story of Gideon in Judges 7, right? Super awesome story. Got this scene where um, Israel is about to take on the Midianites and um, the uh, army that he has with him is 32,000 people strong, right? An easy victory for the Israelites. The Lord speaks to Gideon and he says, the people with you are too many. What a strange thing to say. The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Right? If in this moment, as you think about the temptation that you're experiencing, you feel weak, that is exactly where God wants you to be. For when you are weak, he is strong. And God in you is able to get all the glory. Why? So that more and more and more people might turn to him. More and more people might see the God that is so loving and so kind and so generous that he picks his people up and brings them back into himself. If you're feeling weak, that's exactly where you belong. So we submit to the Lord, acknowledging that only God's plan can set us free from temptation. Well, what is God's plan? Well, much of that plan is revealed to us in Ephesians 6. And so what I'm going to do for you is read out a portion of Scripture for you and make a few observations as it comes to understanding the armor of God. So from Ephesians 6, it says, Paul writing, Therefore... Take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So three observations for how we can submit to God, resist the devil, and overcome temptation. 
Observation number one. God has given us the provision of himself. Right? Truth, righteousness, faith, salvation. This great news of the gospel is that we haven't earned any of these things. But we are a guilty people deserving of eternal separation. But the great news of the gospel is that God that rightly deserves to be being set apart and set apart and set apart from us has come very near. The God who should be distant has come very close. The person of the Holy Spirit has been given to you as a walking cane in your fight against spiritual temptation. What is a walking cane? Well, for those people that use them, they're the only thing that holds them up. The Holy Spirit, right, in our lives. It is the only thing that keeps some people out of the gutter. The Holy Spirit in our lives. That we don't need just one more time. We don't need just one more high, one more hit. But we've been given the person of the Holy Spirit so that we might lean upon him every day, knowing that he is all that we need. God has given us the person of the Holy Spirit so that we might lean upon him. Observation two, God has given us his word. How do we know that there is a way out of every temptation? God's word tells us. How do we know that the spirit of the living God is living inside us and longs to be our strength when we are weak? God's word tells us. How do we know that there is no sin that we have committed that is so strong that God's love does not have the power to call us back? It's that God's word tells us so. It's worth asking tonight, what is our relationship like with God's word? What is our relationship like with God's word? When you're in the pit of temptation and you feel like they've got no other option than to give in to this temptation, are you able to call to mind God's word? Are you able to call to mind the goodness of God, that no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man? God is Faithful. God is faithful. It's so incredible that when uh, Jesus was being tempted by the devil, the first comeback that he has against the devil is to say, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus compares food, that which our body cannot live without, to the word of God, that which our spirit cannot live without. Can you call to mind God's word? Or is God's word like that that distant auntie that you see once a year, right? So strange and unfamiliar. Or is God's word so intimate and close in your life that you you can call on it to remind you that God is good and he loves you? That God is strong enough. That God wants you to experience life and life in all of its fullness. And if you're searching for life, and if you're searching for hope, and if you're searching for joy outside of God, you will not find it. God has given us himself. God has given us his word. And God has given us his church. Paul calls the church to be praying for one another, and in doing so reminds us of the responsibility that we have for one another. I remember my old um, pastor preaching a message, a myth-busting message, where the question was, um, can I... If I don't go to church, can I still be a Christian, right? Can you be a Christian and not go to church? I love what my pastor said. He said, why would you want to? Such an awesome answer. In the tradition of Jesus, answer a question with a question. Why would you want to? 
Maybe the, um, maybe the only thing that you need to hear in this message tonight is that the Lord wants to shine a light on your temptation. Not to condemn you, but to free you from it. That the church is the hope of the world, right? That God is using his spirit through every single one of his believers to use you in your workplaces and your families to be the hope of the world. You might shine Christ to the world. But it is also true that the church is the hope of the church. That it is actually Christ in us. That God has given each other each other. So that we might not have superficial relationships where we just meet in an old shed and pass each other by and pretend that everything's okay. We would not just be authentic where we would just say what we think and no one would speak back to us, but we would exist in vulnerable relationships, right? Where we would be open and honest and we would allow people to speak the word of Christ back into our life. God has given us the provision of himself. God has given us the provision of his word. And God has given us the provision of his church. Hebrews 3.13 says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So we've seen that we need to identify the difference between sin and temptation to sin. And we need to choose our motivation for overcoming temptation. And three, we need to submit to God and resist the devil. And lastly, number four, we need to acknowledge the reality of giving in to temptation. We need to acknowledge the reality of giving in to temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 19 to 21 says, What do I imply then, Paul speaking, that food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, I imply what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to participate, to be participants with demons. Involving yourself in sin is not involving yourself in a poor man's kingdom of God, right? There's not a great option in the kingdom of God and then a slightly less uh, uh, quality kingdom in the kingdom of demons. There is the kingdom of light and there is, friends, the kingdom of darkness. And the kingdom of darkness wants to steal your life, kill your life, and destroy your life. Every single time we succumb to temptation, we turn our back on God and we stare at darkness, spiritual darkness that is longing to cause these strongholds in our life so that we would not be able to experience the intimacy of God. There's this really incredible and, um, and jarring uh, story of how the Eskimos kill wolves, right? You know, that they would... Um, take a big knife and they would get animal blood and they would get the blood on that knife and they would wait for that knife to freeze over. Then they would get more animal blood and put it on that knife and wait for it to freeze over. And they would repeat this process over and over and over again until this blood and this knife, you couldn't see the knife at all, it was indistinguishable from the blood. And they would stick this knife in the ground and then wolves would sniff it out and they would come up and they would start licking this knife and the wolves would lick this knife over and over and over again and they would become bloodlust, right? And they would not be able to tell the difference between the taste of the animal blood and their own blood. So the thing that they thought was bringing them joy was actually killing them, right? The reality of sin in our life. There's also another reality. Paul describes it like this. 
He says, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Where sin abounds, grace abounds, abounds all the more. I don't know what kind of sin you've been involved in, what kind of temp- temptation comes to your mind, but there is enough grace from our God to call you back home. We uh, had a, a new girl in our life group on Wednesday night. And she shared this illustration of um, the story of her life when she was younger. She said, described herself as this out-of-control teenager and people were telling her parents to foster her out and her parents uh, kept investing in her and kept loving her and caring for her. And she, one morning, just said something to her mother that was particularly cutting, although she said that many of the things that she said to her mum was particularly cutting and she had gotten the soap treatment before. And then so this time her mum went and got the soap, went and got the water, created the soapy water, right, to give her to drink. And instead of the mother giving the daughter the soapy water, she drank it herself. And she said, this is what Jesus did for you. Rather than casting you off into darkness, he took that punishment upon himself. The innocent one called guilty so that the guilty ones would be called innocent. doesn't matter what temptation that you've succumbed to in your life, you are not so far from God that God doesn't long to save you and call you home. God loves you so much, right as you are. And he loves you so much that he does not want to leave you there. He wants you to experience his love, his peace and his patience and his kindness and his goodness here tonight. Maybe tonight for you is the first step of the rest of your life. That you would say no to temptation, no to this stronghold and you would walk in everything God has set aside for you, trusting the person of God, right? That we will only find fulfillment in who he is. Trusting God's word, there is nothing else that we could lean on. And trusting one another, could we be that kind of church? Vulnerable enough, genuine enough, involving ourselves in deep spiritual friendships enough, knowing that my temptation is not worse than yours, my temptation is not better than yours. But we are all equal at the foot of the cross, amen? All of us. I would love to pray for you if you'd like to bow your head and close your eyes. I know that for some of you uh, here tonight as we speak about temptation, there is this real weight of shame on your back. As you consider uh, what went on for you this week, maybe what went on for you this weekend, and the idea of talking about temptation does a couple of things for you. It riddles you with guilt, and it um, also causes you to this false belief, to have this false belief that nothing will ever change. That you're just going to be going around the mountain on the same issues over and over and over again. Well, the word of the Lord to you is that Christ came so that you might Live life in all of its fullness. Not in part of its fullness, but in all of its fullness. Knowing that even though we get tempted, God can set you free. I would love to be able to pray for you uh, in this moment. If you're a person that recognizes that there is a temptation for you, whether it, it is pride, whether it is comparing yourself to other people, whether it's money, whether it's sexuality, or, I would just love to pray for you that the Holy Spirit might minister to you in this moment. If that's you and I could pray for you, could you just lift your hand so I could pray for you just while everyone's head is bowed and eyes are closed? Awesome. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 
Praise the Lord. I appreciate your honesty. Once you put your hand up, you can put it back down again. Is there anyone else that I might pray for tonight? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. God, we just in this moment want to say thank you. Thank you that you are bigger than our temptations. Thank you that you are bigger than our strategies. You are bigger than these four walls and the kind of music that we play and kind of churches that we build. You are bigger and stronger and you are dependable. We can lean upon you. You are wise. You are kind. You are full of grace. Thank you, God. Thank you that you've given us your spirit. Thank you that you've given us your word. Thank you that you've given us your church. Thank you, God. God, I want to bring before you my brothers and sisters that would say that um, temptation for them in this season of their life is an intense um, experience and they want to learn how to lean and depend upon you every day. So God, I pray that your spirit in this moment would convict them to action. Pray that your spirit would convict them to lean upon your spirit. I pray that your um, word might, that your spirit might convict them to bring their temptation of sin into the light, that they might share it with brothers and sisters, that you would bring brothers and sisters into their life, that they would know and they could be vulnerable enough to share with. And God, I do just pray that you would show them that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That in you is complete love and complete grace. We want to lean and depend upon you, God. We want to lean and depend upon you, God. Pray these things in your name. Amen.